The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Earth's mightiest heroes type thing. Avengers, time to work for a living. That's my secret. I'm always angry. I am on the side of life. You get hurt, hurt him back. You get killed, walk it off. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. I'm your host, Andrew, and I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers. Welcome to episode 18 of Some Assembly Required, your weekly adventure into the annals of Earth's mightiest heroes, the Avengers. This week, we're taking a look at Avengers number 16, The Old Order Changeth. This issue comes to us in May of 1965, and it is written by Stan Lee, art by Dick Ayers, longtime inker, layouts by Jack Kirby, and letters by Art Simic. As I just mentioned, this is the first art that we are seeing done by Dick Ayers, and in general throughout the book, I will say I really enjoy it. The cover on this one is particularly nice. We've got Captain America giving a, a rousing Avengers assemble, and the whole point of this issue really is Cap doesn't know who's going to show up on this one. As we said, the old order changeth. This is the last time for a while we're going to have the original Avengers together, and this is the first time we're going to be seeing their replacements. Cap has been in South America for a while, so he doesn't really know what's going on, and we'll see that as we get into the issue here. So the issue picks up back in New York. At the end of the last issue, we were in South America with Captain America, but we left the rest of the Avengers hanging back in New York, getting ready to show down with the Masters of Evil. So now we're going to pick up there and see what actually comes of this encounter. And we start off with the Masters of Evil really giving the Avengers a warning not to engage because they will endanger the lives of innocent civilians. And in general, that's a pretty good appeal to the Avengers. But the Avengers also aren't dumb. And they realize that it doesn't matter what we do. The Masters of Evil are still going to be a problem. And we need to take care of that. So the Avengers are even more determined to take down the Masters of Evil at this point. And again, the Masters trying to assert themselves. They give a demonstration of their power, which is done by Melter, whose power is just not impressive. The more this goes on, the more I dislike Melter. He's kind of one of those guys who just kind of tags along everywhere and says the most annoying and obvious stuff. So when he demonstrates his powers, he says, Look, Avengers, first I melt a lamppost. Next, I'll turn my invincible beam on you. But we know it's not going to have much of any effect. Yes, congratulations, you melted a lamppost. That is the extent of your powers. But nevertheless, the Avengers don't really want to take the risk of endangering innocent lives. So they initiate Plan D. And Plan D involves Thor creating a good old-fashioned space warp, like we saw back with Enchantress and Executioner in Issue 7. Enchantress and Executioner, having been through this once before and been stuck in one, know what's coming, and they manage to get themselves out of the way, and I appreciate that. Again, it's that kind of internal consistency that I find really just heartwarming's not the right term, but it makes me happy that they're paying attention enough to their own stories to be able to maintain internal consistency. It's a level of quality, that's what it is. So as I mentioned, Executioner and Enchantress manage to escape, but Black Knight and Melter don't, and they and the Avengers are sucked into the space warp, at which point Executioner and Enchantress say, mm, you know, we probably should just go ahead and get the hell out of here. And then we find ourselves in another dimension. Now, in between these two panels, though, we get an arrow directing our attention from one panel to the other with a little bit of narration in there. And I've been seeing these arrows pop up more and more in Marvel books, and I cannot stand them. In fact, to be honest, it pisses me off a little bit. It insults my intelligence. 
if the sequential art is well done, is good sequential art, and it tells a story, I shouldn't need these arrows. The direction of reading should be obvious. It should flow clearly. If it doesn't do that, then you're doing it wrong. Knowing that the layouts in this book are done by Jack Kirby, I really have a hard time believing that they're doing it wrong, and they just put that in there for I don't know what purpose. Also, it's only six panels on a page. It's in English, so we read left to right, top to bottom. It's pretty easy to follow the flow of the story on a six-panel page. Now, of course, at this point, it is four Avengers against arguably the weakest two Masters of Evil. So in reality, it takes four panels for the Avengers to completely take down Melter and Black Knight. And when I say it takes four panels, it takes four panels with almost no effort. In fact, the Avengers honestly have to put in no effort because the dimension that they have transported everyone to operates on basically reversed laws of physics. And so Black Knight and Melter basically take themselves out while the Avengers watch. And then, of course, we use a space warp to return back to our normal dimension. And while the rest of the Avengers are traveling between dimensions, we go back to South America and Cap and Rick, who we see are finalizing the burial of Baron Zemo. I kind of like this. This is a nice character moment for Cap. For one, it acknowledges a couple of things. Cap says, it's over at last. I should feel a sense of elation, but I don't. All I feel is a strange emptiness and a numb sense of disbelief. Cap has avenged Bucky, and Cap has fulfilled the purpose for which he has set himself out on since joining the book. And now that that's done, Cap doesn't know what to do with himself. Also, it's a quality character moment in the fact that even as much as Cap despised Zemo for everything he did, Cap is willing to bury him. Burying someone shows at least some sign of respect, even maybe not for the person, but for the fact that they were a human being. So the fact that Cap goes out of his way to take the time and to bury Zemo shows the quality of person Cap is and how all human life matters to him, even that of his enemies. And again, on the subject of all human life matters, Cap is offered to become the new chieftain of the tribe Zemo had enslaved. And Cap says, no, you guys are free. Go, go on, live your lives. And then Cap and Rick go to leave and they are spotted by some of Zemo's henchmen, like actual henchmen, and they're attacked. Now, I kind of want to know how Cap and Rick had enough time to bury Zemo, talk to Zemo's slaves, walk to the airstrip, and only then do Zemo's henchmen actually attack. That's a lot of time for these guys to just be waiting around. But Cap and Bucky managed to drive back Zemo's henchmen, the only problem being that the last surviving plane is destroyed in the ensuing fight. So Cap and Rick are going to have to find a new way back to America. So we return back to New York and we find three of the Avengers sitting back at Avengers Mansion. We find Iron Man, Wasp, and Giant Man all gathered together. And Thor is apparently off somewhere partaking in the Trial of the Gods, which is in Journey to Mystery 116. And if you take a look at that one, basically Loki and Thor have, have been accused that one of them is lying to Odin and they have to go through this physical trial to determine which one of them is telling the truth. So that's where Thor is right now. But as the three of them get to talking, they come to the conclusion that, you know, we all kind of need a break. You know, we've been going at this hero thing pretty hard for a while now, and it's starting to wear thin. 
Wasp is the first one to actually bring this up, and I'm both a little surprised and a little not surprised. The fact that she's the one who brings it up makes me think that her recent brush with death may have impacted her more than I think we gave her credit for at the time. You know, she came back to the team, looked like no problems, but there may be some what we would now call post-traumatic stress disorder involved. It's also interesting from the fact that Wasp was really one of the driving forces behind forming the team in the first place. And for her to be one of the ones saying, no, I think we should take a break for a while, really kind of tells me what kind of mental state she's in and where she's at this can't be an easy decision she came to you don't abandon something you founded like that easily especially when it's still going well i could see it if the avengers had just gone downhill from here wanting to you know wash your hands say no i'm good i'm done walk away this is bad but if it's good like the avengers are and i don't mean good in the, the good evil sense but it's going well then it's really hard to walk away from that Of course, now, just as the discussion's really getting involved, the Avengers find themselves in a room quickly filling with smoke. And Iron Man takes point, and they go to investigate, and they find Hawkeye, who is an Iron Man villain. Hawkeye has apparently tied up Tony Stark's butler, Jarvis. Hawkeye really has something astonishing to say. Hawkeye says, I come as a friend, not an enemy. Yes, I wish to join the Avengers. I never intended to be an outcast or an enemy of society. We get a little bit of Hawkeye's backstory here, and basically we find out what Iron Man readers have already kind of known, in that Hawkeye was seduced into helping Black Widow. So, a little bit of backstory on Hawkeye. Hawkeye is a sideshow sharpshooter at Coney Island, and he realizes that, hey, I have skills, I could be a hero. So he makes himself up a costume and some trick arrows and everything, and he goes out on patrol. And the first night he's out on patrol, he comes across a jewelry heist, and he manages to scare off the person who actually committed the robbery, but in the process, Hawkeye basically incriminated himself he got confused for the perpetrator so hawkeye ran instead of trying to explain the situation and was rescued by natasha romanoff the black widow black widow seduced hawkeye into helping her in her campaign against iron man and he worked with her until she was injured and taken off by an ambulance and hawkeye realized the error of his ways so he's had a couple of interactions with iron man so far At this point, Iron Man is actually rooting for Hawkeye. Iron Man says, you know, I've I've fought against you, but I've seen your skills. You've got skills. I believe you, but we need to convince the others. So Hawkeye picks up Jarvis, stands him up, and shoots the gag and wrist and ankle bindings off of Jarvis in one shot. This little show of force is enough to convince the other Avengers that Hawkeye is just the kind of person they were looking for, and that he could actually be a replacement Avenger for one of them. So with this replacement idea in mind, the Avengers set out to try and find more replacements. So the first person they go to is Namor, who is someone we have seen the Avengers fight before in Avengers number three and four. And Namor has shown his prowess. He's, he's very, very skilled. And he's a leader, let's be honest. A little impetuous, perhaps, but he's definitely a leader. So they send a nuclear-powered mini-sub after Namor. And when they contact him, they offer him a position on the Avengers so long as he renounces his his dreams of conquest. Of course, this is something that Namor refuses. He he can't accept this. But then he kind of follows it up, and he says, until my people are again rulers of Earth's lands, as well as her seas, I can never ally myself with any humans, even though the thought of your offer does me honor. Namor is still out to conquer humanity. Let's not mince words on that one. But he's looking out for his people, and he acknowledges that this is a great honor being done to him. 
You know, to start, Namor didn't have a whole lot of respect for the Avengers. After fighting the Avengers a second time, however, Namor really kind of begrudgingly but grants them quite a bit of respect. And this is just an extension of Namor's respect for them. But again, Namor's not interested. So we now cut to Switzerland and an isolated ski chalet where we find Wanda and Pietro Maximoff, otherwise known as Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. And Quicksilver comes running in with a newspaper and tells Scarlet Witch that she needs to read it. And the newspaper has the following to say. It has been learned by a reliable source that the mighty Avengers have accepted the dashing Hawkeye as a probationary member and are considering other applicants as replacements. To which Pietro responds, this could be our chance, my sister. So the Maximoff siblings are mutants who had initially been involved with Magneto's Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, a consistent foe of the X-Men. However, Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver were not the most willing of participants. They joined the Brotherhood because Magneto Nido saved them from a mob of generic European peasants, and they were never particularly thrilled with either the company he kept or really what Magneto was doing. On several occasions, the X-Men tried to convince them to join them, really to no effect, but there's the understanding on both sides that Wanda and Pietro were really there because they didn't have a whole lot of other choices. So the siblings look at this as their chance to do right, to make up for the things they've done in the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, but also they wanted to do good in the first place, and this is their chance to do that. Now, in between a couple of these panels, I'm a little perplexed, shall we say, in that we get Wanda and Pietro in normal civilian attire for two panels, and then panel three, suddenly they are both in costume. There's a narration box that says, silently, the dramatic couple return to their rooms, only to reappear on the terrace moments later as Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. And I feel like it's just a, a panel justifying what the arc just did, and I don't understand why it jumped from normal clothes to costumes. The other thing that disappoints me a little bit here, and having read a lot of X-Men, disappoints me in general, and I will probably be disappointed by this, moving forward in Avengers, is how subservient Scarlet Witch is to Pietro. Now, Pietro is obviously the more dominant personality in general. He's very impulsive, fairly arrogant, and we will see those characteristics pop up repeatedly. But also, Scarlet Witch consistently says, I'll do whatever you want me to. And she's a lot like Wasp in this book, in terms of, in the beginning, Beginning, she's very subservient, very kind of background character, and goes on to be one of the leaders of the Avengers. Uh, she will actually be one of the founding leaders of West Coast Avengers. But right now, she's very passive and very timid, and I really want that stronger character there. I'm being a little impatient. So as we leave the Maximovs, we see Pietro writing a letter to the Avengers asking for a meeting. We then cut to the Avengers in New York holding a press conference about Hawkeye joining the team. And this seems like a reasonable thing to do, although there's a couple things that I find interesting in this. First is that Giant Man is giant-sized at the press conference, and he's in a giant-sized chair, and he looks ridiculous. I don't know why he didn't shrink down to normal size, but it's really kind of amusing. The other thing is that when Iron Man introduces Hawkeye, he refers to him as a replacement, and pretty quickly the press pick up on this, and he says, Iron Man, you use the word replacement. Does that mean some Avengers are resigning? And Iron Man, much like a very skilled politician diverts it to a different question because Iron Man is also asked about Thor and Captain America and he says that information about their absent Avengers is restricted. 
at that point, the press conference wraps up and Iron Man and Hawkeye have a nice little back and forth. And Hawkeye actually says, you know, his only regret really is that with the other Avengers planning a leave of absence, he doesn't get to fight with them. He's looked forward to fighting with Iron Man, especially because Iron Man is the hero he has dealt with the most. And I think there's a certain level of hero worship there, a little bit of idolizing. And Iron Man is probably part of the reason that Hawkeye became a costumed individual in the first place. Next, however, we find ourselves in the jungles of South America, and Rick and Cap are trying to find their way through the jungle and get back to America. It's a great, like, it's about a page worth of material split over two pages, but it's a great series of panels. It really reminds me of, like, a newspaper adventure strip, you know, from this time period or, or even earlier, like a Tarzan or something like that. Rick and Cap are swinging over alligators and they're fighting off a snake and they come across a guy who's being attacked by a jaguar. Cap uses his shield to stop the jaguar and turns out the guy can offer them a ride back to civilization. And then we get another stupid arrow, which directs us to Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver arriving in America on a ship. And apparently they had their costumes on under their coats, which I don't know, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, but I guess it works. And they are met by Tony Stark, who escorts them back to Avengers Mansion and then changes into his Iron Man costume. Because again, nobody actually knows that Tony Stark is Iron Man. Now, on the way from the ship to Avengers Mansion, Quicksilver decides to show off a little bit and race the car back to Avengers Mansion. And at one point, he's actually running circles around the car. But there's a great moment when the driver of the car is like, oh, I think I've lost him. Like, I haven't seen him in a while. And it turns out Pietro's way in front of him. And it kind of reminds me of the scene in the first Iron Man film when Happy and Tony are racing to the airport. And Happy's like, oh yeah, I thought I lost you there for a little bit. And Tony's like, no, 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 you did. You did. There's not a whole lot of a connection there it's just the dialogue reminded me of that and i thought it was kind of funny that iron man is involved in this scene and he's involved in in the scene in the film as well now while the maximovs are getting settled in and preparing for their meeting with the avengers cap and rick finally make it back to avengers mansion cap and rick got a plane they got to the airport they actually rented a car that's just a little i don't know it amuses me cap he doesn't take mass transit he doesn't call for a ride he doesn't take a cab cap rents a car and when he shows up at Avengers Mansion, there is a throng of people outside. And, uh, well, Cap's probably not gonna get his deposit back on that rental car because he decides to use the hood as a springboard to jump over the crowd and into Avengers Mansion. As he rushes downstairs into the meeting room, he finds his gathered teammates, with the exception of Thor, plus Hawkeye, Quicksilver, and Scarlet Witch. Now, at this point, his fellow Avengers are just overjoyed, because they haven't heard from him. They know he went to South America, but they didn't know what happened. And here he is, he's okay. Giant Man actually picks him up and starts throwing him up and down in elation. It's really a fun, happy team moment when Cap comes back victorious to the waiting cheers of his teammates but some of cap's happiness to be back is cut short when he learns that iron man giant man and wasp are all taking a leave of absence and that in cap's absence they have brought on three new team members now cap acknowledges he feels that his teammates have chosen wisely with the three but he is extremely upset that the other avengers are leaving he says you mean you're breaking up the avengers it can't be why how Iron Man, thankfully, is, is a very calming source at this point. He says, easy, old friend. We're merely taking a leave of absence. Says, Don't forget, we've been part of the team longer than you have, and everybody needs a rest sooner or later. 
He reassures Captain America that, look, we're not gone forever and we're not breaking up the team, but we need a break. We're tired, we've been working very hard, and we really just need some downtime. So at this point, Iron Man comes out and announces that there will be a new Avengers lineup with Captain America taking seniority and adding Hawkeye, Quicksilver, and Scarlet Witch as the rest of the team, and that the other Avengers will be taking some time off. Iron Man comes back inside, says some very touching words, really recognizing how how difficult it's going to be for him to, to step away and then introduces the new Avengers to the press and to the crowd gathered outside. And then Iron Man, Giant Man and Wasp really just walk away. Giant Man and Wasp literally walk away and Iron Man is driven away by Happy. Giant Man and Wasp go to take a vacation and Tony Stark goes to lose himself in his work. Now, there's a few things about this ending. This is a, a fantastic ending. You know, I've complained about pacing issues a couple times in the end of these books. This is not one of those books. This is paced just perfectly. It really, it hits you right in the feels. Everyone is so, it's all so genuine. I mean, yeah, we're talking about superhero stuff, but this is a legit changing of the guard kind of moment. And they really give it the right level of gravitas that a scene like this needs. Iron Man has some parting words. He tells the team, very importantly, to go find Hulk. Because as good as this team is going to be, Iron Man says, you lack brute strength. And without Thor and without Hulk, that is an aspect that, that is going to hurt this team if you don't find someone. So go find Hulk. And Iron Man gives way gracefully. He ushers them out to their crowd, and then he leaves. I mean, the scene of him walking out of the room is just, it's a great panel where it's looking at Iron Man from behind as he's coming up to the door. He's literally in a spotlight. His shoulders are slumped a little bit. It expresses the proper level of both how down he feels about having to give this up, but also how physically tired he is, how much this has weighed on him. And then, of course, we get a parting moment between Iron Man, Wasp, and Giant Man, and that is also very touching. I mean, the three of them have been serving as teammates now for a while. They've been through some tough times, especially recently, and they have to part ways, but they acknowledge how great it's been, how good the times have been, and that the reality is that times are going to be different from here out. Even when Iron Man, Wasp, and Giant Man come back to the team, it's going to be a different team. Because at that point, all the new members are experienced. And instead of being the leaders of the team, they really become more just members of the team. I mean, the last panel is beautiful with the new team standing up, waving. It's just, this ending hits on every level. It sticks the landing perfectly. And I love it. All right, so overall. Again, as we've talked about, you know, on first glance, when we're looking at the conversation, it feels like the founding members of the team are leaving kind of suddenly, kind of out of nowhere, really just to shake up the book. But, but when you look at it closer, there are tensions and justifications that have been building up over the last 10 issues almost that have led to this point. I don't know if this was their long game, but it certainly feels that way. And maybe that's just the really good things about Marvel's writing in this time is that they intentionally wrote their characters like they were real people. They weren't these gods among men. They were men trying to be gods. They have these great powers, but they're still people and they still have real human struggles. This is also the start of the Avengers becoming a place for second chances. There are going to be a lot of Avengers who are former villains, who are not necessarily the best people, but they're welcomed onto the team because the Avengers becomes a place where people can try again, can get a second chance can do better and it's a great theme that really follows the avengers all the way through is that idea of redemption 
Now, of course, it also serves the plot and to drive story forward when you have people who are, they were good, then they're bad, then they're good again, then they're bad again, back and forth and back and forth. It does serve to stir things up, but there's a lot of idealism built into the Avengers to start with, and this just adds even more to that. And it's something the book will keep going basically from here out. We also, we get a nice introduction to Hawkeye and Quicksilver, and we get a little bit less of Scarlet Witch, and again, it's unfortunately indicative of the times, and the fact that the female character takes kind of a backseat to the male character. Now, on a smaller team, a team of only four members, that'll change. Scarlet Witch will move to a position of more, certainly equality, and in in some cases prominence, but it's going to take time. The whole thing here, it is good and it's bad for Cap. As I mentioned, there is a hole in Cap's life, and even he acknowledges it. So now Cap has the opportunity to fill that hole with really the leadership and the training of the new team and all of that kind of stuff that Cap is really good at. It gives his life purpose. At the same time, a little bit of a dick move that his teammates blindsided him with this. Like I said, certainly there has been visible justification, and I would like to think that if Cap is living this, then he also sees it. And once it's explained to him, he acknowledges it. Yeah, that makes sense. And I understand what's going on. It's still a little rough for him to be like, hey, welcome back from the jungle. Oh, by the way, we're all leaving. Here's the new guys. Have fun. But Cap will take this team and he will make it his. And the last thing I want to say about this is there is some really nice art in this book just across the board. Obviously, Jack Kirby is doing the layouts for the book, but I'm pleasantly surprised by how much I enjoy Dick Ayers' art on the book. And I really, I gotta say, I didn't expect to enjoy it as much as I did, only because this is the first Dick Ayers art we're seeing in this book, and it's always a little iffy the first couple times you get an artist on board. And that's just, I think that's just comics in general. It really takes some time for them to get a good feel for the characters and the book itself. And when I talk about the ending of this book being so good, yes, Jack Kirby's layouts helped set the pacing for the book, but I don't think I would have enjoyed this ending as much if the art weren't as solid as it is. If the art were bad, it would have hurt this ending so much. And instead, this ending works so beautifully. And because comics are a visual medium, so much of that is in the art that Dick Ayers' quality here really stands out and tells me that, yeah, this is this is meant to be impactful and you should care about this because there is obvious care and effort put into the book itself. Now, most of you will notice that I didn't go too deeply into Hawkeye, Scarlet Witch, and Quicksilver, and I gave you a little bit of their backgrounds, but not really powers and that kind of stuff, and I will go ahead and talk about that in the next issue when they are the actual Avengers, when they are the team. I didn't really want to get bogged down into that too much this time, just because this is our last time with the original team, right? They will come back, but there'll be other members too. This is the last hurrah for that original group, so enjoy it. Remember, you can find us at AvengersAssembly.com. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can find this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. If you'd like to be a part of the conversation, send your questions and comments to Andrew at AvengersAssembly.com. Next week, we start with a brand new team of Avengers in Avengers 17, Four Against the Minotaur. All right, hey. All right, good job, guys. Uh, let's just not come in tomorrow. Let's just take a day. You ever tried shawarma? There's a shawarma joint about two blocks from here. I don't know what it is, but I want to try it.